pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us in this church. We thank you, Lord, that we come together. Uh, Lord, from different backgrounds and uh, different situations in life, uh, Lord, uh, each and every one of us this week had a different experience in life. Not all of it good. Uh, Lord, we know that life is messy. And Lord, we know that we are far from perfect, that we are a work in progress. So Lord, we come here to this place to hear from you, to be served by you. Lord, we thank you that you come to us here in this service uh, to, to serve us with the truth of your word. Your word is, is the bread of life which nourishes us. And so Lord, I pray that each and every one of us here today I, I pray that, that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear your word, that you would do the work that you promised to do through the proclamation of your word today. We thank you that when your word goes forth, it doesn't return without accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. And uh, Lord, each and every one of us, we, we need to mature in our in our faith, we need to mature in, in, in our relationship with you. We thank you that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. And that the beginning of that journey is a journey where you graciously continue to come to us through your word to strengthen us and to mature us as your disciples. So I pray that you would do that work today as we study, as we continue to study the Apostle Paul's letter uh, in 1 Corinthians. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now we're in the middle of a sermon series. We're three weeks in. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. The title of the sermon series is A Messy Church, A Perfect Savior. We could have titled the sermon A Messy Life, A Perfect Savior. We could have uh, titled it um, um, A Messy Marriage, a perfect Savior. How many of you guys would say, yeah, sometimes my marriage is messy? We could have titled it A Messy Family. A Perfect Savior. Life is messy. It's messy because of the reality of our fallen nature. When sin entered into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, read Genesis chapter 3, that's when everything was messed up. And life for all of humanity became really messy from that point on. And so right now we're, we're living in that age before the return of Jesus Christ when we, yes, we have the scriptures, we have the promise of Jesus, and we're maturing in our understanding of, of God's promises and His Word, but life is still messy. And the church is messy. The church is messy because the church is the gathering, it is the fellowship, it is the assembly of people like you and I who still have a sinful nature. A people like you and I who still demand our own way. A people like you and I who are still tempted by the ways of this world. And so really, Paul wrote 
this letter to the church in Corinth because there were some messy situations happening within that church. And today we're going to be talking about the need for spiritual maturity. The need for spiritual maturity. You see, spiritual maturity is needed for the strength of the church. Spiritual maturity is needed for the strength of the church. Did you know that everyone has a a starting point in the life of discipleship? We start following Jesus as babies in Christ. Each and every one of us has a starting point in our relationship with Jesus and our discipleship. And we start as infants or as babies in Christ. Now, now babies, they're, they're, they're wonderful. Babies, uh, they, they mature and they grow. They develop. Every day, a baby discovers new things. They hear new things. They see new things. They experience new things. They pick up new things. A baby is developing from the time it's in its mother's womb until the time the baby finally grows and matures. You see, the scriptures use the metaphor of birth and growth to describe our lives as disciples of Jesus. John 3.16, what did Jesus, uh, or, or in John chapter 3, what did Jesus say? In John 3, 6, John 3, he says, you must be what? Born again. You must be born again. And so a spiritual birth indicates that if we're, we're born again, or literally born from above, there's this new spiritual life that's been birthed within us by the power of the Holy Spirit, working through the truth of the gospel. So if there's a birth That means there also must be growth and maturity. So today we're talking about spiritual maturity. We need to grow and develop in our relationship and in our discipleship with Jesus Christ. So in the same way uh, an infant child grows and develops, so should the Christian. But let me remind you of something. Eventually, we we stop growing physically. And then we begin to grow older. All right? So eventually, we kind of hit this plateau where we've stopped growing and developing physically, and then we grow older. Well, the Christian, the Christian should never stop growing. There should never be a time in your life where you've reached some sort of pinnacle of Christian maturity. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. There's still room for growth. There are still things to learn. Some churches teach this idea of Christian perfection. They actually teach that at a certain point, a Christian can, can reach the pinnacle of maturity, and they actually believe that that Christian can reach a point where they won't sin anymore. Now, as Lutherans, we don't believe that. For the Scriptures teach us that if anyone says he's without sin, or if anybody claims to be without sin, he deceives himself himself. 
He deceives himself and the truth is not in him. So we believe that no matter how long we've been Christians now, no matter how, how much we've developed in our faith, there is still room for growth and maturity, for increasing maturity in our Christian faith. None of us have arrived. None of us have reached the pinnacle of Christian perfection. And in this age, in this life, in this mortal flesh, we never will. We will not experience perfection in our Christian lives until we're in heaven with Jesus. Then this body of flesh will be done away with. Temptation will be no more. And then paradoxically, uh, and and here's, here's the danger in teaching this, in teaching this idea of, of maturity is that some people may misunderstand what I'm saying and saying that we have to work our way to salvation. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you earning salvation from God. What I'm talking about is you growing in the salvation that has been freely given to you already. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. But when we come to trust in Jesus, and when we receive the forgiveness of our sins, and when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we begin a new journey where we grow deeper and deeper in our understanding of what God has done. And it's, and it's a, a sort of a, it's a paradox in a way. Because when God sees you right now, He doesn't see your sin. Actually, right now, as, as God looks upon you, He sees Jesus. He sees the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God sees you, He isn't looking at your sinful flesh, but He's looking at that declaration of righteousness that has been given to you as a gift of His grace. So really there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves more acceptable to God. Because you have received the very righteousness of Christ as a free gift. So you are holy. You are a saint. Your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. You've been credited with the very righteousness of Christ. So we say that you are a saint. But how many of you would say, now wait a minute, I'm no, I'm no saint. How can you declare me a saint? Because I still sin. I have doubts. There are many failures, many inconsistencies in my life. How can you say that that I'm a saint when I know that I'm a sinner? So which is true? Are you a sinner? Or are you a saint? I think that it's, it's wrong for us to say... I'm one or the other. 
The scripture actually teaches that we are simultaneously saints and sinners. We are those who have been declared righteous. So when God sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. Yet in the flesh, in the messiness of this life, we still retain a sinful nature. The theologians of the Reformation came up with a Latin formula. And it goes like this, simul justice et peccator. It means simultaneously just and sinner. Simul justice et peccator. Simultaneously a saint and a sinner. So that's who we are. So when God sees you, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're, you're uh, going to be judged because when God sees you, you've been washed in His blood. You're holy. You're a saint. But yet, in the reality of our daily walk, we still struggle. Life is messy. And we need to mature in our Christian walk. When uh, the people of the local church are immature, things get really messy in the church. And this was the case of the church in the ancient city of Corinth. In what way was the, the church in Corinth the messy church? In, in a lot of different ways. But today we're going to be focusing on the immaturity in the Corinthian church which brought about divisions, factions, disunity within the church. So we go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and today I'm just going to be going through our reading, our, uh, our sermon text verse by verse. So verses uh, 3 uh, through 2, and the first point, and there is a handout if you didn't get the handout today, uh, there will be handouts where you can fill in the blanks and stuff. So number one, spiritual maturity leads to divisions. Spiritual maturity leads to divisions. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 3, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as what? As infants. Infants in Christ. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. So he says in verse 3, for you were still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Leave that verse up, Alyssa, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 3. So there was this spiritual immaturity which led to divisions within the Corinthian church. Uh, the word jealousy, there was jealousy within the church, is from the Greek word in which we translate the word zealous or zeal. So they were zealous. There, but there was a passion and a zeal, not for Christ and His Word, but there was a passion and a zeal for individuals' opinions and preferences. So people were very zealous about the way they thought things should be in the church. Sound familiar? The same thing happens in our daily lives, in our families in our workplaces, in our communities, in politics. 
but it has also infected the church. This jealousy or this zeal for my own personal opinion. Things need to be done the way I think they need to be done. And then there was not only jealousy, there was strife. Strife. Strife in the Greek carries the, this idea of, of arguing. They were, they were so passionate about their own personal opinions that they began to argue about it. Any of this sound familiar? In your life and in your experience? A zeal for personal opinions. And then they started to argue about it. Churches get passionate and they argue about the goofiest things. Really, they, they get passionate and they argue about things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of eternity. What really matters is that which lasts for eternity. Eternal things. What matters are people. What matters is that Christ is proclaimed and glorified. Did I ever tell you about the Mayonnaise Church? I think I've told this story before. Maybe it's been a long time. Anybody remember the story of the Mayonnaise Church? Oh, good. <clears throat> there is a church. This is true. True story. There is a church, a Lutheran church, that divided over mayonnaise. This is honest. There was a group of ladies in the church that wanted to use craft mayonnaise. And then there was a, a, a group of ladies in the church that wanted to use, what, what brand do you think it was? Best Foods. Well, this was in the mid Midwest, so it was Hellman's. Best Foods and Hellman's are the same company. So you had the, the Kraft Mayonnaise group, and then you had the Hellman's Mayonnaise group in the church. And they were doing a building project. They were building a brand new fellowship hall. And the ladies couldn't agree on the mayonnaise. So you know what that church did? They built two brand new state-of-the-art commercial kitchens. One on one side of the fellowship hall and the other on the other side of the fellowship hall. It's true. It's not made up. Do you think the mayonnaise was the issue? No. There was something going on within the hearts of the people within that church that they would even allow something so ridiculous to continue. So they were passionate about their opinion. They argued about it. And for some reason, the spiritual leaders within the church agreed to wasting tens of thousands of dollars. So that's the extreme example of the mayonnaise church. You see, when churches divide over craft or Hellman's, you know there's a deep spiritual immaturity within that church. Now, do you think when they get to heaven, they're really going to care about mayonnaise? No. So we should always be thinking, are these things that we're passionate about, are they in accordance with the Word of God? It's good to get passionate about God's Word. 
It's good to have zeal over God's word. And does it really count for eternity? Is it going to matter when we're in heaven? When we're all in heaven together, all these different arguments and opinions and these things that we're zealously passionate about going to matter. So, number one, spiritual immaturity leads to divisions. And then number two, spiritual immaturity leads to the inordinate adoration of leaders. Misplaced adoration of leaders. In verse 4 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes, For one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So their division was rooted in preferences over pastors. Paul came into Corinth. He planted the church. He planted the seeds of the gospel. So Pastor Paul came in and he founded the church in Corinth. Paul moved on to another city. And then Apollos, Pastor Apollos came in. And he watered the seeds that Paul had planted. So you had this division within the church. One group said, I follow Pastor Paul. Another group says, I follow Pastor Apollos. And we see from 1 Corinthians uh, earlier on in the book that uh, others were saying, I follow Pastor Peter. And others were saying, well, I'm super spiritual. I follow Jesus. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now we need to understand the church leaders, our pastors, our elders, our trustees, those who lead us, our, our teachers, are gifts from God. They're gifts from God. We should give thanks to God for those who lead us within the church. We, sh we should seek to honor their calling, but we should never put them on a pedestal. Nor should we ever divide over who we prefer the pastor to be. There should never be cliques around personalities within the church. Spiritual maturity will cause us to say, hey, any person who comes in here to preach the word faithfully and to lead the church in the mission of Christ is somebody that we appreciate and somebody that we honor. Not following the cliques of personality and personal preference in church leadership. So number two, spiritual immaturity leads to the inordinate adoration of leaders, which is what caused divisions in the church in Corinth. And then number three, we'll get into the positive here, what spiritual maturity does lead to. Spiritual maturity leads to, number three, a biblical view of the church leader's role and inabilities. So a, a spiritual maturity leads to a biblical view of the church leader's role, but also his inability, what he or she cannot do. There are some things that the leaders of the church are given by God to do, they, things that they can do, but then there are many things the church leaders cannot do. Let's look at verses 5 through 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? 
What does he say? Servants. Servants. The, the word is where we get our word deacon from, and it really just it means to, to, to be a person who, who serves others by waiting on tables. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You get that? Paul planted, Apollos watered, they preached the gospel, they taught the word of God, but who gave the growth? God. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Paul and Apollos were servants. They were simply given the task to preach the word, to teach the word, to care for the people as a shepherd cares for his sheep. But they had no ability to cause spiritual growth or numerical growth within the church. A pastor is one who serves. A pastor is one who serves the bread of life to the people. He serves the bread of life to the people by preaching the truth of the gospel. So Paul uses the example of two laborers. The first one being a farmer. And the next one being a builder. So farmers plant seeds and water seeds. Have you ever grown a garden before? Have you ever planted seeds in the ground? You can plant the seeds. You can water the seeds. You can tend the garden. But there is nothing that you can do in your own strength and power to get the seed to sprout, to grow, and to bear fruit. Only God can do that. So Paul uses the example of, of a farmer. And then he uses the example of a builder. Pastors are servants who serve the church, planting, watering, through teaching the scriptures. They're like builders who are building. And when the church is built strong, because the building materials are, are precious and true, the materials are of, of Christ and his word, that then makes the church strong. So a spiritually mature church will be built upon the strength of Jesus and his word. So point number four, spiritual maturity leads to strength in the church. Paul uses the example of a farmer, plants and waters, the example of a builder who builds with precious materials. Not the type of materials that will perish, but materials that will last. So spiritual maturity leads to strength in the church. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, Paul says, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. And then he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So church workers, the, the pastors, the leaders, the teachers, the elders of the church, are there to build the church. But what really matters is the material that's being used in building the church. What materials are we using here at Maple Park to build the church? Well, I pray that we're using the precious materials of Christ and His Word. That we're building a church on God's Word. That we're building a church on Jesus Christ. Not those things which are passing away. Nothing will weaken a church more than than substituting the purity of God's precious word for lesser things. Nothing will weaken the church more than substituting the purity of God's word for lesser things. Christ and his word is the gold, the silver, the precious stones, that which lasts for eternity. But, but churches, they, they get distracted. They, they become messy places because they lose focus on God's Word. They lose focus on His Word and they begin to build the church with things that really are straw. That, that won't stand the test of fire. So churches are trading God's Word today for that which will perish in eternity. One thing that churches are, are pursuing is, is politics. Th their focus is no longer God's Word, but on a political cause. A right-wing political cause or a left-wing political cause. Now as individuals, we're, we're called as individuals, as uh, citizens of this society and of this government to be involved in, in political in politics, but, but that's not the focus of the church. The church is to focus on Christ and His Word. And really what happens when churches stop focusing on the precious solid rock, the solid gold truth of God's Word, is that they're really, they, they don't have any moral basis or, or character in which they can engage politically as citizens within society. So I believe society is weakened as churches trade the truth of God's Word for politics. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Politics are going away. 
Thanks be to God. Politics are necessary today, and we ought to be engaged in voting. Vote. Register. Vote. Be a good citizen. But all that stuff's going away. Thanks be to God. Other churches are are building on social causes, as good as many social causes are. You see, we're all concerned about issues of poverty, of racism, that to make sure that there that there is a, that we live in a good and just society, right? But to trade the precious foundation of God's word and to make social justice issues the number one thing, again, is to go the wrong way. And we actually begin to undermine our ability to, to function as, as citizens in society when the social justice issues are our are, are focus rather than Christ. We're actually really able to engage in society in more meaningful ways when our lives and our churches are built upon Jesus Christ. You see, one uh, author, Leslie Newbegin, in his book, um, Mission in Christ Way, he, he, he advocates for the church engaging in feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, fighting for that which is good and right within society. But he says the church should never substitute that for preaching the gospel. And he says something very powerful. He says to a hungry man, a hot meal looks like heaven. It does. To a hungry man, a hot meal looks like heaven. But then he says, but after he has eaten it, he knows that it's not heaven. To a hungry person, a meal looks like heaven. But after he's eaten it, he's full. He understands there's something deeper. There has to be a deeper meaning to life than this. So what we can give to society is not only caring as citizens of this society, caring for the needs of the poor, and to care about the the issues that are existing within our culture, whatever those issues are, but to stand upon the truth of God's Word so that we can give humanity not only what they need temporally today, a hot meal, or whatever it is, but also what they need eternally, the bread of life, which satisfies not only today, but for eternity. And we could go on and on, but politics, social justice, these are things that churches are trading for the purity of God's Word. Other things, we could go into entertainment or the different philosophies and self-help philosophies of our day. There's probably truth and, and goodness in many of these things. But the foundation of our church, what we need to build Maple Park upon, are the precious materials of God's Word and of proclaiming Christ. Then number five. Spiritual maturity leads to humble service in Christ's church. Spiritual maturity leads to humble service in Christ's church. You see, we're all called to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us are growing in our discipleship. We start as infants in Christ. And then we grow to learn 
We, we, we grow in our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to live uh, for Christ in this world. And the ultimate example of spiritual maturity is a heart of service. A heart of service. Not a, a heart that demands, and in a, in a way of life that demands my own way, I'm going to be zealous about my passion, I'm going to argue about the way I think things should be, but rather we seek to serve one another in love. Mark chapter 10, verses 45, 42 through 45. Jesus called the disciples together and said, He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers, you know, the high officials of the Gentiles, they lord it over others. And, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So, so the rulers of the Gentiles, they set themselves up on a pedestal. And they rule over the people. But verse 43 says, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. Why? Verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Jesus had every right to be served by humanity. He is the king of creation. He is the one who spoke the universe into existence. He is king of kings and lord of lords. If anybody deserves to be served, it's Jesus. But even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And get this, church, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Strong church is not led by personalities or earthly causes or earthly means. Those things are straw. Those things will not stand. The strong church is built upon the foundation of God's church. And when the church is built upon the foundation of Christ and His Word, the, the church begins to reorient itself towards Christ-like service, towards one another, and towards our community. We don't make our preferences and opinions the priority. Following Jesus as servants becomes the priority. When we're following Jesus... If we're focused on Christ and His Word, it's going to be difficult to argue over something like mayonnaise. Right? How can you argue about mayonnaise if your focus is Jesus? Following Him and serving. When we're following Jesus, we won't even care about what mayonnaise is being served. We don't care about styles of worship or personality or political or social causes. We'll only be concerned about those things for which Christ is concerned about. And what was Christ concerned about? Serving. Serving the least of these. Serving you. Serving me. 
serving a fallen world. That was Christ's concern. See, Jesus came to serve. And yes, here's the good news. He came to serve even me and even you. And each and every one of us, if we understand who we are, we would say, how could the King of creation, the Lord of glory, the one who is clothed in splendor and majesty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who, is in a, in, who lives in unapproachable light, why would he humble himself to serve me or to serve you? It's this amazing thing called the love of God. The love of God which is manifest in Christ Jesus. He served you by even going to the cross to offer his life as a ransom. Did you know that each and, of us, each and every one of us are held hostage? Apart from Christ, we're held hostage. We're bound by sin, death, and hell. Held hostage. And unless Christ came and paid the ransom price for our release, we would be doomed. But Jesus did come. He paid the ransom price by shedding his precious blood upon the cross so that we can be free. So today, know that you are free in Christ. There is no person freer than the Christian. You are so free. You are so liberated today. Liberated from guilt. Liberated from sin. Liberated from death. Liberated from, from the judgment which we deserve in hell. You're liberated. But Paul says you are free. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for, for the flesh. Don't use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity to sin. Paul says rather serve one another in love. So you're free. You're free to serve. You're free to follow Christ. You're free to enter into this life of being the light and the example, the servant nature of Christ in our world. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. I know there's a lot here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and throughout all of 1 Corinthians. But I pray that our, our hearts and our minds would be so attuned to your word today that by your grace, due to the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus, that you would cause us to mature in following you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to mature in, in, in our discipleship. And Lord, we know that, that maturity is made manifest in service. So help us to be servants. By your grace, enable us to do this. And Lord, may the motivation not be that we're trying to earn salvation, because we know we're saved by grace. Rather, may the motivation be Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many upon the cross. And motivated to do that, may we continue to grow in our ability, in our desire, in our passion to serve one another here and to serve this community and the world 
with what Christ has given to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children say, Amen.